And now, another no-brainer money-saving tip from Progressive. Marcus, what happened? I was changing my oil and I spilled some on the floor. Oh, we'll use these $50 bills to wipe it up. Perfect. Got any more? Yeah, yeah, take a couple hundred. Stop. Instead of using money, use an old rag. And here's a better tip from Progressive on how not to waste money. Don't pay too much for car insurance. Drivers who switch and save could save hundreds. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Potential savings will vary. All right, what's up, everybody? It is the CBC Wisdom Hour, number 132 for March 30th, 2021. I'm Steve Wichel in New Orleans. It's Tony B coming to you from New Jersey. What's happening? Oh, I'm back in the studio, as you can see, Tony. I see that, Steve. I'm glad to see that, too. I took a couple weeks off I was of the worried. studio. It had to be cleaned, um, dusted, and vacuumed, and uh, spit-shined. Did you get it covid uh you know, it's it's now it's now COVID protected. Yes. So, uh, uh, but the entire room got the vaccine. I haven't gotten the vaccine. Yet. I haven't gotten the vaccine yet, but the entire room did. So, I'm so the, my I, first shot tomorrow. Are you really? Congratulations. Yeah. yeah. Um. All right. So, um, I played over the weekend. We're not going to talk about that today. Uh, but I did play Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, which was uh, the well, first time first time yeah. in a year. Got to talk a little bit about it, even if it's just a quick synopsis, like highlights, like Friday highlight, Saturday highlight, Sunday highlight. I'll just give Steve, you the whole. Go. I'll give you the chunk of highlights for the weekend. It was busy. Uh, there were a lot of people in the room. They really appreciated uh, that we were there. I had a great time. By uh, midway through Sunday night, my back was killing me uh, because I hadn't done that in a year. Um, but I got a stool and I kind of sat on it, half sat on it some of the times, and that helped. So that's that good. Was- that was that, but we'll be doing it next weekend too. And we'll have plenty of time to talk about that. So, uh, but today is a special show. Uh, everybody, we have a, a great guest on today and, and I hope you guys out there are watching and are, uh, will ask questions because there's a lot of questions I'm sure people will have. And there's a lot that you can learn from this guy. Um, uh, his name's Gene Violet and he plays in a band called Cashmere, which is a Led Zeppelin tribute band. And he just released a book that I will show you right here. It is uh, The Memoirs of a Led Zeppelin Tribute Singer in the Shadow of the Gods. Yeah. Um, and I was fortunate enough to get a copy of this book and read it. And it is a fascinating story of, uh, you know, somebody who, who stuck with it uh, over a long, a long period of time. And he has since been... Uh, fronting this band, Cashmere, for over 20 years. And 20 years is a long time to have any job, much less a band. I mean, that's yeah. that's really... And, and to be successful at something for 20 years is saying something, you know? It if sure is, yeah. You know, with anything in life, right? If you're married for 20 years, or if you have a business for 20 years, or if you're in a band for 20 years, you know? Those are, those are, those are important milestones that you don't want to take for granted. Yes, so I'm going to move this. Everybody can see it's episode 132. I'm going to take this out because it will block our faces or my face, I think, anyway, when when we uh, proceed here. 
but everybody knows 132 is the episode with Gene. So you're going to want to refer to it. Um, all right. So let's bring him in, everybody. Ladies and gentlemen, Gene Violet. There he is. <laughs> Welcome to the Wisdom Hour, Gene. Thanks What's for up, doing Gene? this, man. Um, I, I just want to tell everybody, full disclosure, I've known Gene for 16 years. Uh, I, I was once in Kashmir uh, for about a year. Um, around 2005, 2004, 2005. And um, so we, we do know each other and we have worked together. So uh, that really kind of helped me to uh, to understand a lot of stuff that was going on in the book and to learn a lot of stuff about you that uh, in the book that I didn't know. And I, I really, uh, really enjoyed the whole thing. So we're going to talk some about the book um, and people are going to come in here and comment and Greg Hampton said, what's up, guys? Glad to hear you played recently, Steve. Awesome. Okay. This is not about me today, Greg, but thanks. Um, it's funny so- that you said that, too, because this was the first time that Kashmir played three nights in a row. We played Thursday, Friday, and Saturday in Virginia. So right. people were re- they were all fired up, ready to go. Yes. Uh, Dan asked if we we're going to play any music or just talk. We we're just going to talk. Um, if you want to hear uh, some of... Uh, Gene's band, Kashmir, you can find them. I'll show the website now. We'll show it again later too, but you can go check them out at cashmerrocks.com. And also they are on Facebook and it's Kashmir, the live Led Zeppelin show is the one that you want to find on Facebook. Uh, we're going to talk about that too, about the whole name thing. Cause I, I really, I really enjoyed that. But, um, but I, I want to, before you go blow by that, Steve, one one question. So, Gene, how was it playing? Is it the first time you guys played since the break for COVID? No, we've actually played, I think, about four or five times, like since, like, May. We actually had two shows in North uh, in uh, New Hampshire, like in May, which was surprising. But, yeah, it was, it, was, it was good. So from May till now, right? So in between, maybe you had a couple shows, but how did it feel to get out there and play again, especially back-to-back three nights in a row? Just like what Steve said, the muscles. I, I had metal neck so bad. And it usually happens <laughs> two days after because yeah. you know, you're, you're doing your head. And, and then usually it's not, it's not the Monday, it's the Tuesday. You're like, oh, mm-hmm. God. Right. Yeah, you always on stage were very animated and, you know, flipping that hair around and moving your, I, and I guess you still do it. So, um, so yeah, more power to you to, to be able to have that kind of energy on stage. And you, yeah, you pay the price, but, you know. Um, um, and uh, yeah, uh, this is a sentiment that's coming from a lot of people. Lori said she gigged this weekend too. Many people came up and said they really needed this. That's uh, good to hear. And yes, um, yeah. I've heard just as much from music fans as I've ha- I've heard from musicians of how much they missed live music. So, mm-hmm. um, and uh, this is a super long comment here, but uh, Amy Stover said she she got the book and so I'm at Nelson Ledges, which we're going to talk about too. Nelson Ledges, uh, but let's let's get back to the beginning. Um, you know, we're we're about the same age, and uh, what I, I really enjoyed about this this book is, is that story of how you were when you were younger and um, how you wanted to be a rock star. You were doing the original music thing, just like I was at the same age. And I kind of had the same visions. I wanted to play, you know, I wanted to do originals. I wanted to be on MTV, which is a thing that you said in in there too. Um, So 
you know, that story is very relatable to a lot mm-hmm. of the musicians that, that are, are in cover band central. Um, and one thing that, that sticks out with me in your story and is something advice that I got a long time ago from the late Neil Casal was um, the, the best thing that you can do is persevere. And I think that's something that you really have, have accomplished. So bring us back to that, those beginning, the young Gene Violet of what it felt like to, to have that energy and to really want to, I know so you were influenced not by Zeppelin, yeah. but by other bands. So talk about that, that your musical well, influences. Yeah. I went to art. I went to the art Institute in Pittsburgh. And that was like 1983. So that was when New Wave was just starting to kick in. And, you know, I was, I was really getting into U2 and the whole New Wave era. And I still, I mean, I, I, I went to high school. My favorite band was Judas Priest. But then I started to get, you know, went from Motley Crue, Judas Priest to, um, you know, you, uh, even Duran Duran, um, Psychedelic Furs. So, and Pittsburgh was a really good place. It was you know, a lot of young people there getting into the music. So I wound up getting into a, a new wave cover band. And, you know, right at that, right, right on the edge of graduating uh, college and then going into, uh, I actually was a full time in a cover band in a new wave cover band in like 1986. And I was making like 1500 bucks a week playing, Damn. but you know, the nightclub scene, it was huge. Then you'd play, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. So you're 21 years old. We got all the energy and the libido to go crazy. And that was kind of the driving force was you wanted to be a rock star, but it was also like the social life, you know, it was everything that was going on when you're 21 years old. And uh, we we actually did pretty good. The band was called Avant Garde. And uh, we had a blast. We, We signed up with a really good agent which is to me is probably one of the most important things. If you're really going to do something in the music business, you got to get hooked up with agents and managers and things like that. It's really difficult to do it on your own. So that would be something I would immediately recommend to somebody starting, but you, you got to go through that filtering process of trying to find the right kind of manager, the right kind of agent, which you'll, you'll learn and you'll experience as you get, as you go through the stages. But so we had a really good uh, agent called entertainment unlimited. And like I said, everything was bands back then. There was a lot of competition and we, we got a major break. We were showcasing all the bands for entertainment unlimited. were showcasing at a, a major hotel in Pittsburgh. And it was all the high schools and colleges. They were all bringing the kids in to pick the bands that they wanted. And the top band, I think I forget the name of the band, Modern man, they their their truck broke down, so they couldn't get their gear set up. So our band seized on that moment, and we cashed in. And all these little high school girls seeing us like Duran Duran, we we wound up getting all kinds of gigs, and uh, we wound up actually opening for the Smithereens in Ohio, which was one of the first times I got to open for a national act at that time. So we were trying real hard to. We wanted to get a record deal, and we were from Pittsburgh, and half the guys in the band, we wanted to then go to New York, and the other half were kind of, you know, they, they, got a, they had their jobs, they didn't sure what they wanted to do, and there were struggles going back and forth over a couple of years, and eventually um, me, the bass player, and the drummer decided to go to New York City, 
and try to make it in, in the business. But Avant Garde actually went to CBGB's and we had two showcases. Which right. That was yeah. huge. That was a big thing for us. Yeah, I was going to get to that in a little bit. Uh, that because the the CBGB story for me is that that hit me so hard. Like I really could relate to that feeling, and you were so so vivid in that description of that night. And it, it just I had this visceral reaction to it when when you were talking about it. Yeah. Um, and I mean, we can jump to that now since we're mentioning it. But you had this opportunity where you thought, okay, this is our big shot. We got these executives are coming to this show, CBGBs. This is a, a huge, uh, mm-hmm. iconic venue in New York City, which I did play to. I played there once. Um, and when I did play there, I was like, holy macro, this place is a <laughs> shithole. Yeah, but, total shithole. Yeah. But I mean, just the fact that I got to play at CBGBs to me was like a big deal. But but you got you were stoked for this. You're thinking, oh, man, this is going to be like this is our chance and blah, blah, blah. And then you describe this and you're just like it all went to shit. It's just like, and, and your description of that to me was just so oh, like, oh man, like everybody knows that feeling, but God, it sucks. So yeah. Steve, for those who haven't read the book, Gene, can you elaborate a little bit on that story? He will. It was um, <laughs> when, when the Kurt, the bass player and Mark and I, we went to New York, we, we, we started, you know, you get into territory, you're trying to figure out the club scene. We're trying to figure out what kind of music we, you know, it, it was Guns N' Roses era. Cat Club was like insane yep. in New York City. So it was probably, I mean, the whole whole Lower East Side was totally electric. And we were right there. First we lived in Queens. Then we moved to Manhattan, which everybody tried to do. And so uh, our goal was we put a band together. We called it Naked City, which is another thing in the book. Make sure you do your research on your band names because – it will come back uh-huh. to you right in the face because there was another band called John Zorn's Naked City, which they were big. They were really big. And I wasn't, we weren't aware of it. So we kept the name and we wound up, um, we, we started getting popular. We were playing uh, the local clubs in New York City and we were building a following. And we had uh, a guy from ASCAP, his name was Jonathan Love. And uh, a, a, the, the manager of the Cat Club, his name was Don Hill. And he wound up becoming really good friends with me and the band. And then he wanted to become the manager of the band with, with Jonathan Love. So we were getting things get together. We actually got a – we had a uh, lawyer from Geffen getting ready. We got a lawyer getting things. So we were getting all the pieces of the puzzle together to focus on getting a showcase and doing a record deal. We wrote songs. The managers, Don and John, were always giving us input. So, and the CBGBs, even though it was a shithole, they had the best sound system in the whole city. So any band that wanted to showcase, either you paid a lot of money to go to a studio in Midtown Manhattan called SIR Studios, yep, or right. you showcased at, at CBGBs. But, you know, make sure you got dressed before you got there because the bathroom was like... Oh, forget it. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's not like there was a dressing room. Like CBGBs yeah, yeah. is this iconic place, but they, you know, yeah. So it was kind of like we, like I said, it was a two year, two year build up. Band was boom, boom. We're you know getting a lot of people, a lot of fans, and this was the show. And it's a whole different ball game when you're playing for execs compared to your fans. You know, like 
cat club. We would have the place packed. People are drinking. It's a, it's an off night. You know, when you do showcases, I think it was an off night. So it was probably like a Tuesday or Wednesday. And so you're kind of off your game a little bit. But um, just I think it was the anxiety or or just something. But just things started to go wrong. And as, as I was singing, I, I was just watching the whole dream of me trying to get a record deal and the band trying to get a record deal just go right out the window. And, you know, I, I won't get into all, all of it because I want people to read the book a little bit. Sure. But it, I found I, another bit of advice is the people that usually talk in the band the most about ideas or always have got their, you know, let's do this or that, that, or they're always arguing about everything. They're usually the ones that choke when it comes to those kind of showcases. Mm-hmm. So there was a member in the band that was like that, and he kind of totally screwed up the tempo of the song. And um, This is the smell of the leftover tuna fish sandwich you left in your lunchbox over the weekend in a wimpy trash bag. Wimpy, wimpy, wimpy! Blech! And this is the smell of that same sandwich in a hefty, ultra-strong trash bag. Hefty, hefty, hefty. Ah, smell the difference? Hefty Ultra Strong has Arm & Hammer with continuous odor control, so no matter what's inside your trash, hmm, you can stay one step ahead of Stinky. And for bigger jobs, try the superior strength of Hefty Large Black Bags. This week at Macy's, get an extra 20% off with your coupon or Macy's card. That's on top of great savings, like 50 to 60% off coats and puffers for him and for her. 40 to 55% off boots and shoes for her. And 20 to 50% off bed and bath refreshes from Charter Club and more. Plus, stock up and save with an amazing 25 to 70% off season end clearance deals. Now at Macy's. Savings off sale and clearance prices. Exclusions apply. It just right from that moment when he didn't do the tempo right, it just went, it started going downhill. And we knew it. It was almost like, if you were in a baseball game, you knew you were losing or whatever. So you start to panic. And then the guitar player took his shirt off and he dropped on his knees. And I was, we were literally, I think I cried that night and our managers didn't call us for two weeks. So we were like, you know, we didn't even know, Hey, how'd it go? They didn't even know what to do or say. So we, we knew that it was like, you know, the plane just crashed. Yeah. And you really conveyed that feeling that you uh, that you had from that in, in the book. And there were other things that led up to that, that you, like you were trying to start and you had these opportunities that came up and you're thinking, oh, yeah, this is it. Like uh, 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 World 21, which is World XXI, um, you know, you're, you're, you're working with these people and you're trusting them and you're thinking, you know, we're allies in this thing. And you're thinking, you know, like, and and you really uh, um, conveyed that how important it was to you, and 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 how how hard you worked at it, um, and then that all kind of came crashing down. And, and you, you know, you could really tell in your book that you were you were heartbroken from that. Um, oh yeah, and, I, it, and, took me, it took me a year and a half, <laughs> literally a year and a half, just to get almost like a death. Like I had to, I was sad, then I was ang- I was really angry. But then you got to say to yourself, and I, then I just said, I remember taking a whole pad of lyrics and just throwing them in the garbage. Yeah, yeah. that's 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 really. Yeah. Hey, Gene. So let me ask you. So after that gig, right? The, like you, you lament about it for a while and stuff. But when you get when you guys finally got back into your next gig, did you still feel that like residual anxiety and that kind of looming? Well, 
you know. It was kind of like a wake-up period because right then that was now Guns N' Roses was going down. Warrant was just burning out. And now grunge was coming in. And it literally everybody yeah. from New York was flooding to Seattle. So we kind of – we were all – we're still friends. But at that time we were kind of evaluating – no, well, now what are we going to do? We tried to evolve into the grunge thing a little bit. Like you had STP, you had all these, and it just wasn't, it wasn't working. So then it kind of just fizzled out. But that's where the opportunity for, with me, with the Japanese project came in out of nowhere. So like you just kind of pick yourself back up and then there's always, you know, you always remember the good, bad parts, but, there was also a lot of really, really good times and, and a lot of good things that happened. Like one show I played at the Cat Club I wasn't even aware of. There was a Japanese drummer that had a record deal in Japan that had his eyes on me. And then like a month or so after, my girlfriend broke up with me. I left my apartment. My band broke up. And I got Don Hill, my manager, calls me up. And he goes, hey, Gene, I got this guy from Japan he wants you to be in a Japanese in his Japanese project. And I'm like, get that, you know, get that F out of here. And then the next thing, a month later, I'm in Tokyo and I'm rehearsing for, for a record. So it was just, <laughs> you know, right. holy yeah. shit. And, and you got to stay. And I want to expand on this story because it's, it's, it's funny. I'm sure it wasn't funny at the time, but it's, it was funny reading it about the, the haunted hotel room. Yeah. Yeah. I, I seem to always wind up, uh, hooked up with haunted places every time where I play and things like that. So uh, the the minute I got in Japan, right into Tokyo, we, um, their hotel wasn't like it was an outdoor where you went upstairs and it was like maybe six or seven floors. But you you went up the stairs and as soon as I got, to, it was like The Exorcist. It was on the corner of the building and the lights are flickering. And I, I remember that, and I'm just like, "What's going on with this?" Like the, <laughs> it was like it was dusk, the lights were flickering, so I was there for about a month and a half rehearsing, two months. And um, as t- time was progressing, whatever was in this, the, we opened the door, and then I walked in. It was you could smell that nobody was in the room for a long time. So I got the smell, and I just got this vibe that there's something not right in this room. So. What wound up happening was I just kept getting these weird vibes that something was in the room. And one of the things in Japan that I liked at the time, they have vending machines everywhere. And they have an honor system. So they have sake machines that you can go at any time and buy this big thing of sake. So what I would do is I would go down after rehearsing and we, we would eat. And I'd come home and I'd get sake. So I pounded this big thing of sake and I was passed out. And I would say about 2.30 in the morning, it sounded like somebody was right above me in my bed and screamed at the top of his lungs like a, a Japanese guy. Wow. And I just woke up and I told my agent, I'm not my agent, I told my manager. I said, "There's because uh, I worked for a psychic in Manhattan when I, when I lived in New York City. And I was well aware of different kinds of things. So I said, there's something in this room. So it wound up eventually they, they moved me to the other side of the hotel with no questions asked. I guess that's how they get those movies like The Grudge and, and The Ring is the, the Japanese is things like that happening, the, the haunted hotels. Um, yeah. 
that that's that's a great story. And yeah, of course that that project, you know, it didn't pan out, but somebody did ask here Amy Stover said would love to hear that Japanese record with your original work and and I think you said it's not available anymore anywhere unless you dig deep, right? I got a box. I got a box with like probably about 12 different uh sorry probably with tw- with 12 um 12 different CDs of um, the second remix of, of the uh, record. But um, it wound up, I actually, after writing the book, I found the record producer and he lives in France now. And the, the original tapes, like the masters, they burned, they were, he had a, he had a fire. So the masters were burned, but um, the album is really good. It's called world 21. It's kind of like Megadeth meets uh, like pro- progressive rock. But um, it was uh. Sounds cool. Yeah, yeah. All right. So if you want to get a copy of this, contact Gene, and he'll uh, perhaps part with one for you. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we'll, yeah. We'll work on that with Gene. You make him an offer, and 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 that's we'll right. See. We'll see. Buy what, it now. Yes. Yeah. We'll we'll see uh, if, if I think he takes you buy it. On, if you type in World Twenty One, it it could pop up online. Right. Um, there's Japanese. Um, labels that are selling it I've, I've seen it available but right and that's world 21 uh xxi so it's w-o-r-l-d-x-x-i xxi which you said in the book like some people didn't know how to pronounce like how do we say this like they, they, they don't even have a word for it in japan right that, that was the weird part that um the drummer came up with a name that the japanese we couldn't even market really World Roman numerals. You yeah. could do now. Now it's 2021, so you could do like right. the, the reunion, the World 2021. Huh? You're right. right. If, if 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 this record is pretty good, the the second mix, the production is amazing. So, hey, Gene, I mean, what year was that that you recorded that? That was like I think 1996, and that was right right in the heart of like the Nine Inch Nails industrial stuff. Sure. So we yeah. were kind of like a prog rock, heavy metal band. So another thing, timing was not, it wasn't working at that time. <laughs> right. Well, it's funny you say that too, because, you know, I played an original band like you guys did for years, you know, for 10 years we hit it hard. And then we switched over to covers right around that time, like mid nineties. So we were doing the, that same thing, Gene, nine inch nails and all, all that industrial kind of, you know, ministry and, and, and then heavier stuff, you know, and, and I, was, I really like that music too. Yeah. And, and that's probably another thing. Like the whole purpose of the book was, it was, it was to talk about my experiences, but it was a lot to show that you're going to get hit with a lot of you. You'll have some great moments and then you're going to have bad moments. But the thing is, is you, as a musician, you have to adapt and you make life like you take what you can get and try to mold it into what you want it to be. You know, everybody always thinks, well, I'm just going to get a record deal. I'm going to get, I'm going to be the next Guns N' Roses or I'm going to be the next, uh, you know, ACDC or Led Zeppelin. But there's only like about a handful of those people that do that. So the reality is you have to, like lower your expectations and figure out a way that you are going to still be able to do things and enjoy it and and still play, sing, you know, and like I work during the week, but I play on the weekends now and I'm, I'm pretty happy at what I do and I I make some pretty good money doing it. Yes, indeed. Um, Chad Cunningham says, Hey now from Canada. Hey Chad. Um, 
Yes. Uh, um, all right. So, yeah, I mean, a lot of musicians understand this struggle. You, you want it to be uh, the rock star. You want it to play originals. And then, uh, you know, it, it, uh, disappointment after frustration, after challenge, whatever. And you you say in there, like, you were just burned out on originals. And then um, you, you, you started this band, Time of Dying, um, doing Zeppelin covers. And um, I, there's a couple things I want to say here. Um, you said, you know, you, you weren't a Zeppelin fan when you were a kid, but your sister was. And yeah. your sister used to play, um, you know, Zeppelin all the time. And you just, you weren't having it. And then, I, I mean, it's such a horribly tragic story. And, 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 I, and I'm, I, I'm sorry for you. I didn't know this stuff. But, mm-hmm. you know, you lost your sister in 2008. Uh, um, but prior to that, it, you and your sister had this bond because you were playing in a Zeppelin um, tribute band and you finally got it. You got what, what she got, you know, back then. Mm-hmm. And it's such a, it, it's such a heartbreaking story, but it's such a sweet story that you were able to really kind of connect with each other uh, as siblings, um, you know, prior to losing her. Um, yeah. So, um, yeah. yeah, I mean, and that's, that's all in the book too, but I, I want to read something here. Um, that, that kind of led up to your, which, which really struck me. And this is really something that, uh, Tony and I kind of, uh, champion and talk about a lot, this, this, this idea. So I'm going to read this paragraph. You say just before rattlesnake, uh, I'm sorry, time of dying, which was the, the Zeppelin <laughs> cover band was something different from anything I'd done before as it was exclusively a covers band, no originals in sight or even to be attempted. We focused on Led Zeppelin. The band was all about having fun and laughs with great music. We were doing it for the extra money with no expectations or real long-term plans. Tribute bands don't get to sign, sign to labels and make albums, so we didn't have that pressure. Uh, this was just some guys having fun with great classic songs, and hopefully it was contagious with the audience. End of story. Thus, the band was a very different, let alone refreshing gig from my past outings. Now, I'm going to venture a guess, Gene, that, and that's from the book here, in the shadow of the gods if you want to get a copy there's a link in the description you can click that click on that now and check it out it's also on amazon um but i'm going to venture to guess that because you you were so you were so aggravated so frustrated from the original thing and and you just kind of like <sighs> breathed you breathed and, and you did something that was fun for you and for the people you were with um that 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 really was was the stepping stone for the success that was to follow that attitude, that feeling that you had, how, how do you, do you agree with that? Yeah. Yeah. It was kind of like, I, I let a lot of things go. And, in, and by doing that, a lot of things came in. I, I you know what I mean? Right. I, I can't know. I don't know if I can explain that, but it, by dropping the expectations and making the things that I wanted to happen, I just started to just let things happen. And and I focused more then as I started getting older on more of the music and more really tuning uh, like tuning into my vocals and, and singing and, and, and trying to express that when I play more than, you know, when you're younger, you you know, you're always worried about what people are thinking about or you right. know, and girls and things like that. But right. this, now I wanted it to be more about, I want people to see that I'm, you know, what I'm feeling when I'm singing and I wanted to share that with my audience. And right. that, that came out like, like that hit 
almost immediately. Right. Melissa Goldsboro said the book was inspiring. Always great to see a dream come true. So she read it. Um, and, uh, and, and Gene, something that a theme that we always come back to too is, is just that, right? When you're young and you're starting out, you're ambitious, you're excited, you have this enthusiasm. And when you're in your rehearsal space, you're playing like the best you've ever played and it could never be better. But then the pressures and, and the expectations and the anxiety, you know, takes away from the performance when you do get that chance, like you said, whether it's in front of a crowd or in front of record executives where, you know, you choke or someone in the band choke or you don't play your best because you're bound by this controlling, you know, ideal of what you're trying to achieve. Then you fast forward, you know, a bunch of years and you've gained a bunch of wisdom and, and musical knowledge and your musicality and you've grown as a human being and a person. And like you said, then the pressures are released from you because, you know, theoretically, right, in your mind, you're telling yourself, well, there's no pressure because I'm just playing covers and I'm just going to have a good time, you know, not realizing that, you know, you're you're paying homage to these great songs, right? And you want to duplicate them the best you can, but you're not walking on stage with the expectation like, oh man, I really hope that I can, you know, pull it off and duplicate this. You're walking out like, I don't care, man, and it's going to be great. And because of that attitude, it's recreated in the most genuine version that it can be with the most authenticity because you're not thinking about it and you're, there's nothing weighing on you because you just don't care. And that's mm -hmm. what I, you know, you said earlier about the handful of bands that make it that are great or the bands that do that, like that go into the studio and when they're recording the songs, they're just excited to, to lay down tracks and they don't give a shit, you know, they're, yeah, not, they're, yeah. they're not worried about how it's going to be received. Yeah. We call it the zone. I mean, yeah, absolutely. What, when sure. you get into that zone, you're, you're, yeah. And people can see that. The audience can see it. I can look at somebody in the audience, and when you're in that zone, they're looking at you, and they're in the zone. And that's, right. to me now, that's what I'm addicted to is getting into that zone and right. sharing that energy. But you have to release. Off. Like you said, you have to let go of things go. to yeah. allow room for the new stuff to come in, you know? Mm -hmm. And that's how the zone, then, you know, you get into the zone. You can't just say, oh, man, I'm going to go play a gig, and I'm going to be in the zone tonight. You know, no, no. It, it, it's a whole spiritual, mental, you know, thing that you get into. And like you said, the more you do it, you get addicted to it. And then it's easier to find your way back into the zone and get on that frequency on a more regular basis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Agreed. Totally. So, so you have Time of Dying. It's your, your Zeppelin tribute band. You're having fun. Um, and uh, it seemed like you guys did pretty well, but then that didn't, didn't last too, too long. And then you decided, OK, this is this is more what I want to do. And you want you took the reins, and and that's kind of a recurring theme in through this book too, is how you really maintain control over your situation, or, or at least it, it, for the beginning, for the original bands, how you wanted to, and and you were kind of like you got shut out of things and you got screwed over by people, but then you're you're like okay, I've learned my lesson, I want to take control. This is my band, and mm -hmm. and named the Cashmere, and that was in two thousand, so twenty you know twenty one years ago, um, and. Uh, you started out and you don't really talk in the beginning too much about the, the personnel that you had other than Andy, uh, Andy Urban, who's, who's been the, your guitar player. And, uh, and now another no brainer money saving tip from progressive. Marcus, what happened? I was changing my oil and I spilled some on the floor. Oh, we use these $50 bills to wipe it up. Perfect. Got any more? Yeah. Yeah. Take a couple hundred. Stop. Instead of using money, use an old rag. And here's a better tip from Progressive on how not to waste money. 
don't pay too much for car insurance. Drivers who switch and save could save hundreds. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Potential savings will vary. Uh, you know, is still the guitar player. Um, but you do say, and I'm going to say that um, you didn't mention me at all in the book. And I'm not <laughs> sure if I'm disappointed or relieved. That- you know what it was? A lot of <laughs> stuff when, I, when the book was written, it was a back and forth with the co-author, um, Aaron Joy. So he would ask questions and I would answer his questions. And he was the one that he took the story and put it together. So yeah, there were a lot of people that, you know, some agents that weren't mentioned and there were several um, musicians and people in the band that weren't mentioned. I'm like Fred Gorehaw. He's in the Wizards of Winter. Um, Jimmy Whip. uh, He was in the band. Uh, A drummer named Brian. I mean, Jimmy, like one of the things with Time of Dying, Jimmy Bones, he's like a powerhouse studio musician in New York. He did Monday Night Football. Um, Okay. Aaron, Aaron Brooks. He played with Moby. So, I mean, there was a lot. It was just, um, and, and, you know, I apologize for that. because No, no, no. I, I'm just kind of busting your balls. I, I really didn't expect to see my name in there because I was only in the for a year. So, uh, but what you did say was uh, I've had a lot of musicians come through and all great players. So I just took that as, okay, at least, you know. He's not saying all great players except for Steve. Yeah, except for this one guy I knew from New <laughs> Jersey who just, you know. Hey, but Gene, I got a question. So back in the beginning, right, when you made the transition and you did In My Time of Dying and you started that time, band. Time of Dying. Time of Dying, sorry. T- time of Dying and then into Kashmir. What was the impetus that made you go down the Zeppelin path? Was it, you know, originally, you know, born from that relationship with your sister or did you see a success no. in the first band and say, you know, this may have something to it? You, like, that, you weren't a Zeppelin fan, right? So like you weren't, you weren't like a rabid guy who like just yearned to do this, but then you ended up, you know, coming to you. You know, once I started playing Zeppelin in time of dying, I loved it. And I loved the, not only the music, I started you know, we started doing all these, you know, uh, I, I like immigrant song and Jimmy was really good at uh, uh, what is and what should never be. And uh, so, I mean, uh, and my favorite song is Time of Dime. So we would we would nail that and we would play Kenny's Castaways, you know, sometimes like twice a month. So after that, but what happened was Jimmy was a studio guy. Aaron was, they, these guys played in some pretty big bands and they were pretty busy being studio musicians. And I saw the potential. We played a couple shows outside of New York and I saw the response and I said, you know, this could be something. I could take this and, you know, start off at bars and then make, make this uh, bigger. And these guys weren't going to be able to do that because of their their studio stuff. You know, like Jimmy was playing with Kachiri, Katrina and the waves, Blondie. Oh. So when these guys get phone calls, they're gone. You know what I mean? I couldn't. Yeah. I needed to put a band together that was a reliable machine that was going to go out. So that Fred Gorha was one of the first guitar players. Um, Jimmy Whip, I think, played bass. We had a drummer that started off. He wasn't. He was. He was okay. But um, then we had another guy named Brian, and it, it just started now to evolve where we. We started, I played, you know, I went back into Kenny's Castaways in New York, and then I started playing Jersey, and we played smaller places, and Steve, you remember, that Steve came in, like, after, like, two years, I think two or three years after the band, we got, we started getting a couple hard rock gigs, we got a little hard we rock. Did. We did, 
We did the Hard Rock tour. I still have the poster on my wall, so I know the cities. And yeah, we played uh, the first gig I played with with Cashmere was at Dingbats in Clifton. Dingbats, uh, and yeah. yeah, and that was that was a cool gig. Um, and then uh, the second gig, I think it was in Baltimore, and it was it was in October, so it was a Halloween gig. Um, well, we did, so we people did were DC too. Remember DC? Yeah. We did uh, the Hard Rock in DC. Yeah. So, but that second gig was, was, it was around Halloween. So everybody was in costume. I remember having a blast, um, that night and yeah, the hard rock tour, but, um, that's kind of when you, you were start, maybe when you were starting to do the, like the festivals and the outdoor, the big gigs and, and the theaters, um, and uh, somebody mentioned Nelson Ledges before, and that was the first time Cashmere played Nelson Ledges. And then you guys have gone on to play there since, I think, every year. Um, yeah. But that, but that year. What is Nelson Ledges, Steve? I'm going to explain it right know. now. I'm going to explain it. It, it. It's in Ohio, and it's, um, it, we, we went out there. It was a, a three day kind of festival with all tribute acts. Um, so there was uh, Peter, Peter Gabriel, there was Pink Floyd, was the headliner. Um, Rush, uh, yeah, I mean, just like a who's who of, of tribute acts, and it was this big campground, and we went there for all three days. We were we played uh, on the third day, I think, in the afternoon, and uh, but we got we went there and we we camped out for three days, and it was a absolute blast. I I I really cherish that memory of that. I still have some video of that I took then when we were hanging out. You had your tent; it was like a friggin' apartment. Yeah, like you, 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 like, you, like Gene knew how to camp. Like he was giving me advice. And he's like, I, I brought like food. I, I prepared chicken and stuff, and I had it in this cooler. And Gene's like, make sure you protect that because the raccoons will come at night and eat it. And I was like, yeah, yeah, whatever. And then I didn't. And then sure enough, woke up the next day and half of my food was freaking gone with raccoon prints all over the place. Um, As Gene rolls off his air mattress and you're in your sleeping bag and he's like, yeah. ah, what's up? He's got girls in there with these big feather fans. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Those are the days. But uh, but that was a blast. And, and, and I guess the band did well because then you ended up uh, playing there again and again and then headlining. Um, and I, I've seen some of that video and, so, and some of those pictures and, and congratulations on that, you know, it, uh, and well-deserved um, with, with all the work that you've done. And, uh, but um, you mentioned in here, and this, uh, a story that I had that related to it when I was in the band, um, how when you started doing this and you started getting more success that you were being treated like Led Zeppelin uh, and, and people were calling you Mr. Plant. Um, mm -hmm. And, I remember there was a gig that we played in New York and you'll probably remember the name of the place, but I don't, it was in New York state and it was like a festival and a huge stage. The only thing that was happening was that cashmere was playing. Um, and we went there early, you know, afternoon did our sound check and, uh, and went back to the hotel, you know, rested for dinner or whatever. And then I remember us driving back. I don't know if you remember this in particular, but we were all driving back kind of in separate cars and, and there were these people walking on the street, you know, it's like, it's a festival area. So there's no, generally no traffic there. And there's all people walking around, they're holding their cotton candy, whatever. And as we're driving up the there were cops there and they just like parted the pedestrians, like the red sea to let us through. And I, I remember that moment of driving through and I was like, Wow, this is what it feels like to be a rock star. Um, and so you talk about that in the book uh, a little bit about 
you know, being treated like a rock star in the tribute band, in, in a Zeppelin tribute band. So if you want to expand on more of that, and if you have other stories, I'd love to hear. Them. Yeah, it's just yeah. Uh, a lot of times, they, especially like 10 years ago, they would, uh, I would be called Robert Plant, Mr. Plant. It just, um, it treats you like you're, you're the person. So backstage, you know, they treat us pretty well now too uh, at the theaters. But um, yeah, it's kind of, I get uncomfortable because it's like, you know, I tell everybody like, yeah, we know we're Zeppelin until at the end of the night when we're tearing down our equipment (laughs) in the truck. But um, I've actually, we did a show in uh, Morgantown, Virginia, no, West Virginia. And there's this guy from (laughs) Georgia and he's talking to me with a British accent, like he's Ozzy Osbourne with his tattooed sleeve shirt. And, uh, you know, he doesn't have any tats. They're just, it's a shirt that looks like they're tats. So he sits there and he's like, hey, how are you? You know, and he's talking to me in a British accent. And I'm like, it's, I'm like, dude, you, you know, you can turn it off. I'm, we're backstage, you know what I mean? And he, he just kept talking the whole day like he was Ozzy Osbourne. And I was just like, all right, whatever. But uh, it's just funny. You know, some people, they, they try to pretend that they're the people – but I remember there's um there's an Aerosmith band called uh, I think it's called Draw the Line. Um, they're from Boston. The guy looks so much like Steven Tyler that when even when he was next to me, we were doing this big festival in New Hampshire, and I, I look over and it's like you almost think like I, you, you get that vibe that he's Steven Tyler. So right. you have the feeling like how people might feel, you know, where people are like. It's just a bizarre feeling when it's a person that's pretending to be the person, but you're, you know, you're like, wow, this, that, hey, he really looks like Steven Tyler. Yeah. And he probably, you probably channel a part of that too, you know, and, and you as well, you know, when you're in that zone. Especially when you're playing, I try to do that performing. But usually when I get off, I, I won't, you know, I, I, I kind of, you know, I'm, I, I, I don't like to push that. I'm, I just, I'm Gene. Right. But the advantage that you have is that you kind of naturally look like plant. You have that hair, you know, that the hairstyle. And, uh, and you also talk about in the book, like how you, on stage, you don't try to specifically act like plant or look like plant, but there's some sort of mannerisms that you you've adopted that, that are very plant like, and, and the way you dress too. And, and you've always kind of put a lot of thought into that and care into that. Um, but you're, you're not really trying to go outside of your natural self to be something that you're not. So, mm-hmm. uh, and that's, I think that's one of the big advantages of, of your band. And also you mentioned in the book about Andy who, uh, who really, you know, ha- having known Andy for a long time, really cares about what he's doing and really puts a lot of thought and love into the, the craft of doing, being Jimmy Page. And, and, and Andy kind of looks like him already. Um, and he, and he kind of plays like him naturally, but he puts a lot of care into the getting the right equipment, having the right clothes. Um, mm-hmm. and that, you know, when people think Zeppelin, they think plant page. So. I think that him and him and Paul, probably Paul's our drummer. They're the most critically focused on by musicians. So they probably have the hardest job. I mean, when it comes to the regular crowd, it's not really, but I mean, when it comes to the people that come to see the Zeppelin, he's got, he's under a microscope. So you'll see the musicians out there and they're, they're like this all the time, you know, yeah. but 
and, and, and you got to break through that because it's not about, you know, did he play that note exactly like Jimmy Page? To me, the thing that Andy does really well is the textures. Like when I'm hearing him and I'm like, holy cow, that sounded just like, just like that. That sounded just like the, the way it was the effect on the album. Yeah. And, and that's where he really captures it. And that's where our sound engineer, he does all that too, where he's capturing a lot of the stuff that you hear in the record. It's not, we don't try to sound like the record exactly. We try to come across as like Led Zeppelin live, but we're pretty, pretty damn close to the record. But there's only four of us. But there's other bands that they will play exactly like the record and God bless them, you know. And that's like before, like 20 years ago, I would have been like, you know, competition, this band, that band, you know, me not like, but. Anybody band that can get out there and play Led Zeppelin, God bless you and kudos to you. And this world, like there's the, the Zeppelin fans, they're not just there just to see your band. They're there to get as much of Led Zeppelin as as possible. So they'll go out to go see Get the Let Out. They'll yeah. go out to go see Cashmere. They'll go out to go see Zoso. They'll go out to go see Led Zeppelin. So I've let all that, like, I don't look at that. It's competition. It's just another, I call it like a shtick. We got our shtick and they got their shtick. And everybody gets like a little taste of something different when they see all their shows. So I, that doesn't even, before it used to be competition, but not anymore, especially as I got older. If you can keep playing and like for 20 years doing it, God bless you. Yeah. yeah like Lynn like, just said, sorry, Tony, but Lynn said that they're there for the music and, uh, right. um, the, the the Zeppelin fans and, and and I noticed this when I was playing in the band too that it ranges from and, and you talk about this in the book too the grandparents who are, who are way back and the parents who are a little bit of, uh, further up and then the kids who are up even closer and I, I I was always fascinated by that at at the shows that I played with the band where I would see like a, a, a eight year old kid with a Zeppelin shirt on in the front row like wow you know this is yeah. really something and and I'm such a, a a champion for for in cover band central of of tribute bands and and I think you kind of allude to this really in the book, um, but it's like this music is iconic and it's going to be a great song is a great song and it's always going to be a great song, but there are bands that are never going to play live anymore no. ever. But people still really want that live music experience. Yeah. And they will always want that live music experience. So the only way they're going to get it and, and hear that music live is by going to see a tribute band. And and that's something I think that will will continue as as we lose our icons or they get too old to tour. You know, in 50 years, you're still going to see a Led Zeppelin tribute band or a Pink Floyd tribute band or a Rush tribute band. So what you're doing is, is really kind of a service for music fans for and every generation. That's mainly, that's the main goal of what we, what the whole band is about. And, and that's the feedback that we get. We get all the time, like people from 50 to 70, they say, you just, you just put me back in 1970 and or they'll right. be with their wife. And they're like, we were like 18 or 16. And, and you just brought back so many memories or we get the kids, like we'll get a college kid that will come up and say, I'm never going to see them, but I think I just felt like what my grandfather felt or my dad told me about, mm -hmm. and this is the closest thing I'm going to get. So 
when at the end of the day, when that happens for our band, that to to us is the most important, and 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 that's what makes I think the band uh, a success, and and that's what we're conveying to our audience is that it's that's what it's about. It's not about you know. I'm Robert Plunt. You know what I mean? Look at me. <laughs> it's it's about, a celebration day. Yeah. It's about yeah. music, right. you know? And, <laughs> and, and that's, the, and like I said, with the book, that's what I'm trying to share is that, you know, in the 20 something years of my career, I've, I've learned to take the, take the, the, the roughest shots you could take, get back up on your feet and find a way to still do what I love to do, which is sing and make people happy. And, and in the end, I'm, you know, like I said, in the back of my book, I'm, I'm pretty happy. I'm a happy guy with the outcome. I, yeah, I'm not, I don't have a, a Rolls Royce and, you know, 15 houses, but I could say that, you know, I've, I've done, I've sang to by 30,000 people and, um, and I, you know, I'm, I'm, I've, I've done what I, I'm very happy with what, I, what, with what I've done. Well, and you're passing be. the torch too, you know, like you said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Amy said she's bringing her 15 year old niece to Mansfield, Ohio. Got to raise them right. And that's the thing is, like, people our age are parents, you know, and, and we love Zeppelin, so we're, our kids are inevitably going to listen to it, whether they like it or not. Um, so, you know, so and then the, that's going to get passed on from generation to generation. I have to show this because I, I brought it up, and I was like, I, I have to you know, at least share some of my experience. So a couple pictures of me and Gene <laughs> in the band together, looking like rock gods. Oh yeah. Uh, um, and uh, I don't know where that was Gene, but um, and this, this one more that I had up here, I, I was trying to, I would, I have a lot of pictures from when I was in the band, um, but uh I wanted to find a couple that is just kind of me and you in the shot. So, and that's, uh, again, don't know where it is, but you can see my keyboard set up and I got to say, you're pulling a Getty Lee there, Steve. Well, yeah, I kind of did. I was, there was a couple songs where I was playing my bass with my left hand and, and playing keys with my right hand. And I'm not a great keyboard player. Um, and, and I mean, I would say when I was in cashmere, my keyboard player playing was passable at best. Um, and you know, um, I and think that was that, when you were at the top of your game, Steve. <laughs> ah, um, I did what I could, um, and, and I did okay, but passable at best. I, I'm not a great keyboard player, um, but now you have Felix, who is in uh, Zebra, and and that's definitely a step up for me. He's he's a way better keyboard player, and he also plays mandolin, uh, which I couldn't play at all. Um, so uh, the the current lineup that you have is the lineup that you've had for the longest time in in this band. And that's Andy on, on, uh, on guitar, Felix on bass and Paul on drums. And that's got to feel good to have, you know, a solid lineup for over a decade. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, like you said in the beginning, uh, 20 years, I mean, even 10 years with the same people, that's like being married to four different people. Yeah. (laughs) You know, so, and, and all the personalities that go with it. So, and that's another thing. I mean, over the 20 years, I've evolved person, you know, with personality, my personality, I'm sure I was a little more aggressive and wanted the world 
I would say that you you were you were intense. I would say like like you and I. I think you and I got along well, but there were times when we butt heads and, and like because you're you, you know you're you're set in your ways. You're 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 intense, and and so am I. And mm-hmm. uh, um, you know, I back then, two thousand five, sixteen years ago, I kind of had my own agenda. I was a little spread spread a little thin, and because I, I was just playing for a living, so I was playing a cashmere, and then I was playing in other cover bands and and other original stuff, and I was just like. But your thing was just cashmere. So, um, you know, you, you had a way more invested in it. So I understand the way you were back then. And especially now, dude, learning what came before that, because I didn't know, you know, I didn't know all this, this, these struggles that you had. I didn't know that these people screwed you over. I, I didn't have any knowledge of that. And that's something that I think that everybody needs to kind of learn when you're, when you're starting to work with somebody is that, they got a whole bunch of shit that they already dealt with yeah. before, before your ass. Sure. So, so, you know, be, be aware of that and, and be, be forgiving of other people if they're, you know, whatever. But, you know, I, I mean, most of my memories of cashmere are great. Um, we, we did a lot of uh, traveling and I would generally carpool with you. And, um, and I always enjoyed that. And uh, what, I mean, this has nothing to do with Ben, but one thing I always remember about you is that you were always spotting wildlife and you would name what it was <laughs> like, uh, like he would see, uh, seriously, dude, he, he would be driving and he'd see a bird in the sky and be like, Oh, that's a North Atlantic hawk from, you know, a white bill. Like, like he would always know. And I'd be like, this weekend I saw a bald Eagle swoop right down in front of my car and grab like a big mouse right before the gig. And then he just, like started to go back up. I was like, that's cool. Where does that happen? Andy Urban has decided to join us. And he said, same here, Steve. I love Andy. Um, great guitar player and, uh, and a ton of fun, uh, in that band. Um, and, and another one of my memories that I wanted to mention was, um, cause you mentioned about, uh, celebrities that you, you worked with or you met Stephen Piercy is one he talked about in the book, mm-hmm. little Stephen Van Zandt, who gave you the advice. always had a backup plan, uh, sitting at a bar. When you tell that story, I have that picture of him with a bandana on and uh, kind of, I'm kind of like mixing between the Sopranos, little Steven and, and, <laughs> yeah. and the Bruce Springsteen, little Steven. But, uh, but, but that's also a great story in the book. Um, but I got to meet um, Steve Whiteman from kicks, the singer from kicks. When we played, we played a show, Tony in, in uh, uh, Hagerstown, Hagerstown, which is uh, Steve Whiteman's neck of the woods. And, Tony, this is a theater and it had like theater seat or, or sort of arena seating that went up. You know, it was like, like a floor and the seating kind of went up. It was like a mini arena. And we play there. I play there with the band probably three or four times. But this one time we're, we're in backstage, at, you know, getting ready. And um, and somebody comes back. And it's like uh, Steve Whiteman wants to come back and say hi to you guys. And I'm like. And we're all like, oh, yeah, cool. So, he, and I have pictures of this too. And he comes back, and he's and he's got his son with him, and he's like, you know, I just want my son to experience a Led Zeppelin show live, and this is the closest he's ever going to get. So, I mean, I was like floored. And then we go out to play, and he and his son are sitting right in front of me, <laughs> and I'm like. I was, I mean, you. I, dude, I was, I wouldn't have admitted it at the time, but I was petrified. I'm like, like he's, he's sitting there watching Steve Whiteman from kicks who I was a huge fan of kicks. I, and I saw kicks like a half dozen times. And now Steve Whiteman's there with this kid watching me and, and this band. Uh, but 
thankfully I didn't screw anything up completely. I don't think, <laughs> but that was, that was a good time. And uh, yeah, it, you know, you tell a bunch of stories like that in shadow of the gods here um, of, of celebrities you met and, and people that inspired you. Um, so I really highly recommend anybody get that book. If you're a musician out there and, and you, you're uh, you've been through anything in life, you'll, you'll definitely relate to this, but you'll definitely learn some stuff too from Gene's uh, Gene's trials and tribulations and, paths and everything well, and it's a testament to to you know the, the fortitude and the inspiration to to stay the course right and, and to yeah. find the joy in what you're doing and not be intimidated by an expectation of success learn to adapt always no positive or negative you have to learn to adapt because that's what's going to make you survive you're going to have good things happen you're going to have bad things happen so the key is to kind of see when things are forecast when things are happening and then know when the right time is to change or get out. Mm -hmm. So, but also with the book, if, if anybody that does buy the book, we have a review section and please write that you saw, you know, you saw this, uh, the interview and um, we're going to hook up uh, cover band central for helping us out with the book. And you can, yeah, you can, there's a link in the description. You can click on that link and go get that book. Now you can also find it on Amazon. Um, I, I know we're getting close to an hour, but I, I really need to uh, just kind of, and we might go a little bit too long here, but okay. uh, you talk about your vocal health in, in the book and, and how, how you take care of yourself. And I think that's really essential for people to learn about this. Um, one of the things you mentioned is, is started to, you start to use in-ears, um, that, and you believe that that has helped you um, and you know how to pace yourself. You know how to pace your set list. Um, yeah. So, you know, if, if, if there's a song that's challenging to you, then the next song might, the next thing might be the guitar solo or it might be a drum solo. So you can take a couple minute break and come back and kind of regain your breath. Um, so, you know, you were talking about how you're kind of spacing out gigs. So what I want to know is this past weekend, like you three days in a row, yeah. which is yeah. something that you're not planning on doing. So how did you feel three three gigs in a row? So I felt pretty good. If I probably would another show. I, I would have been rough, but um, no, I made it. And that was the thing too. Um, even though COVID, you know, everybody, what what happened last year? That actually helped me by resting my voice. Right. And I got because I, I actually thought I was I lost some of my range because we were playing out a lot, two, three, four times, you know, and so doing that in different weather and not getting sleep, I, I, I started to some of my range, some of my uh, the higher octave, I didn't think I was going to get it back. And funny that you said about Steve, because I called up Steve and um, asked him as a singer, because I always thought he's one of the greatest singers. I said, Hey, you know, what can I do? And he goes, this, you know, and he stuck me a lot of it as you get older your body's going to change. So you have to start to adapt. You can't drink 10 million cups of coffee. You can't, you got to rest. You got, I don't drink alcohol at all when I play now, because for some reason I totally, I'll have a beer afterwards. You know, you just got to, like I said, adapt. So I drink after I'm done. Like I'll have two or three beers before I go to sleep or something when I'm on the road. But so, and, and just, do, you know, those different kind of things and actually got my voice back. And my voice is probably as strong as it was like 15 years ago. 
That's killer, man. I mean, because you care about it and you do the right things for yourself. Jim Albrecht, from, uh, who is somebody I know from Jersey, said he saw Gene's band a few years ago at Newton Theater. Amazing. New Jersey's own John Hummel did an awesome job on short notice to fill in on drums that night. I know yeah, John. I know John, um, too. Yeah, I know John. He's a killer drummer. Um, and uh, uh, it's cool that you were you you had him available. And, and I want to say, too, after I left Kashmir, um, I, I probably about a year later, I went and filled in and, and me leaving Kashmir. It wasn't, it, it was a hard time for me. Uh, my father had just passed away. Um, and when I was away on my, for my dad's funeral, my girlfriend cheated on me. So, and then, then I, I was out of the band. So it was, it, it was a little rough time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think so. <laughs> yeah. Um, but then, then about a year later, you guys called me up to, to come fill in. And, and that was, it was just a sweet thing for me. Uh, um, and it felt like extending the olive branch and, and just trying to kind of, uh, you know, uh, reconnect. And, and I remember that gig and I remember I had such a great time and I, I thought the world of you guys for doing that. I think it was, it was, uh, you know, it, it was just a, a really cool thing, uh, to do. So. So I, I really think fondly on, on you guys and on Kashmir. Um, yeah, we're always talking about you. Andy and I are always bringing you up in conversation. Thank you. That's, that's really cool. And, and, and I'm happy to, to, to help you guys out anytime. Um, uh, years ago, when I first started Cover Band Central, I, I, was, I, I wanted to write an article on Zeppelin tribute bands. And I was like, I want to find all the great Zeppelin tribute bands and highlight these guys and do an article. So I started doing the research and looking for videos and, I swear to you, man, I couldn't find one that I liked. I just, I, I and I found all the, the popular ones and I couldn't find one video that I liked where I was like, oh yeah, these guys are really doing it. And maybe they just didn't have great videos. Maybe they have a better live show. But as far as I'm concerned, you guys are the premier Zeppelin band. Thanks. You know, you, you look the part, you put a lot of care and love into what you're doing, you, especially you and Andy. But I mean, I don't know Felix personally, but I, I know Paul a little bit and I would say the same about him. And mm -hmm. that's what you want. You know, that's what you want in a band. That's what you want in a show. So anybody goes to see your band, they're going to have a great time. They're going to have that Zeppelin experience, um, you know, on, on stage. Andy has the right gear. He does the, you know, you guys do all the Zeppelin stuff that, that, that they had. Uh, so I applaud you for that. And, uh, and thank you for writing this book and, and telling your story. Um, again, it's in the shadow of the gods, everybody. It's the memoirs over at Led Zeppelin tribute singer. You can get it. There's a link in the description. You can click on that link and get it right now, or you can go to Amazon, um, and pick up your own copy. And Gene said, if you bring it to a show, he will sign it for you. Yeah, definitely. The band, we will, we'll all sign it. Yeah. Yeah. It's very cool. Um, awesome. Well, congratulations, Gene, and much success, you know, going forward with the book and, and all your endeavors. Thanks. I appreciate that. Um, and of course, Gene, you're welcome back here anytime. Uh, your family to me and to us. And, uh, you know, the whole cover band central thing is tribute bands is everything. So yeah. um, I'm just, I'd just like to give a real quick shout out to the co-author co Aaron Joy. He really did an amazing job. And it, it, it happened, it came out of nowhere. Like, I got a phone call from Aaron, who's from Maine, Portland, Maine. He was doing a book on World 21 and Stephen Piercy and Al D. Miola. And he started to talk to me about, like, the, the drummer that hired me. And I was like, well, 
I could talk to you about them. But I said, I got a good idea too. And he was like, really? And I said, yeah. What do you think about the idea of a, a, like a Led Zeppelin tribute singer? Like, and I told him my whole thing. And, and he, he sat, I think he sat on it for a couple of days. And then he called me back. He goes, you know what? I think it's a really good idea. And then we, we, we fused together and we made a goal that it wasn't going to be about sex, drugs, and rock and roll and, you know, like depravity and all that. And it wasn't going to be about me getting my friend, kicking, stepping on my friends or people in the band or people in experiences. This was more like the whole purpose of this book was to, like we said in the beginning, is to show people that in the business you're going to get thrown curveballs, but you can get through life and be a musician and be happy by adapting and getting through it. And and my book is just showing you my experiences in the beginning, as well as my strategies of with 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 Kashmir and how how you can be a success and how you can enjoy yourself and enjoy the music. Right. And Aaron, your co-author is here. He said working with Gene was a great experience. Um, and I, I mean, I don't care what anybody says. If, if you have a band for 20 years and you're still going, that's a success. So you can definitely learn some stuff from Gene here by reading this book and, and, and seeing how he persevered, man, you persevered and you're still doing it. We and all do. yes. And I really applaud you for that. Um, so you can hang out, but I'm going to close out the show. Um, thank you guys for watching. Again, you can get the book. Click on that link in the description and get yourself a copy of that book. And it's also available on Amazon and uh, uh, the banner. Here we go. CashmereRocks.com. Go check out their website. There's a lot of cool stuff on there. And you can follow them on Facebook, too. It is Cashmere, the live Led Zeppelin show. Uh, and uh, where's my thing? Okay. Um there we go. Okay. We'll see you next week for 133. Thank you guys for watching. Hey, thanks. Uh, I appreciate it. Share this and Peace. we'll see you. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more.
score fantasy points.